0: The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit Ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Lutie.
1: I had, in the process of putting this together... I'm still trying to land on a good description, but I feel like I'm being convicted that if there were ten gradients of intensity to the Christian life, ten being, you know, I'm ready to die a martyr, I'm going straight into crowds of uh, Islamic jihadists and shouting the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm just all in, there is no fear, I'm just going at it. And I expect to die even today. Okay, so ten. And zero being, you know, just lethargy, you know, forgetting about Jesus, not having a prayer life, you know, calling yourself a Christian, but just sort of languishing. You know, where am I? Because every time I start reading Christian biography, every time I get close to the word of God, it just brings the fresh wave of conviction that my life still isn't matching up. I can talk a big talk, but I don't want to talk. I want to live. And so I've been noticing just a subtle diminishment. The whole while I'm thinking, okay, I'm sharp, I'm sharp. I'm just going to stop telling myself that I'm sharp. You, know, you ever notice that? You just sort of, you know, like, I think I'm, I'm doing, I'm sharp. Because you know, people come up, how's your prayer life? How are you doing? I think I'm doing pretty good. It's like I don't know that I'm doing pretty good. I, and it's just because I keep getting these reminders of a version of Christianity that is beyond where I'm at. It's like, what am I doing? I want that. And so... In a sense, that's what I'm doing for all of us today. I'm just saying, let's desire something more. Let's not justify where we're at, but let's allow God to push us deeper, onward and upward. I think, you know, if I were to look through this past week, Jake and Charlie sharing on Tuesday night, and remember their statement when they said, let's not think about it, let's just go straight to the town square and start preaching. Yeah, that was one of the moments where I'm thinking, you know, I esteem that. I don't know that I really want to do that. And then it's like, ding, 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 something's going on in my soul. Why am I not saying, hey, I'm going on your next trip? And then it was Kelly Osborne's newsletter that came out. It was yesterday the day before. And she's just, I don't remember if you guys read that, but it was just sort of like, I just want to be where Jesus is. I'd rather be in a prison cell with Jesus suffering than have the most comfortable life in this earth. And she's like, yeah, that's exactly something I would preach. Why am I not longing for the same thing at this exact moment? In other words, I could say it with my mouth, I want it to be birthed here by the Holy Spirit. I do not want to accept mediocrity at any level. Yes, we're in America. That is no excuse for American Christianity to blossom in your life. We want real Christianity, the stuff that turns this world on its head. I was reminded of a dream. I, I don't share dreams very often, but then, of course, if you go through a semester at Ellerslie, I share like 10 different dreams. And you guys are like, this guy's sort of Pentecostal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but these are dreams that have happened over decades, okay? And so, and they're not, I don't just say, oh, this was a God dream. It just taught me something. I learned something through these dreams. My dreams are totally absurd. And so I had this dream. And it was about, oh, I don't know, six months to a year ago, but something happened this week which triggered the memory of this dream. And I actually wanted originally to stick it in a sermon. So it's associated with my old sermon notes. And that's what triggered it. And I was in this big gymnasium. Let's say it was about the size of this this room. And I had my whole family with me. Leslie and six kids. And recently, I want to say, had just come home. So this could be even as far as a year and a half back. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night. And I realized that we were surrounded by tribal warriors. Okay? We had... We're always going through an audio book in the Luty home, and we went through a whole series on Papua New Guinea and all the cannibal tribes, and so I have a hunch that that was playing into it, okay? So we were surrounded by hostile tribal warriors that in the night, I don't know how I knew this, but I knew this, had snuck in and surrounded their prey, and in the morning, they were going to light the campfires and start cooking, okay? So it was bad news, and Eric is suddenly alerted to the danger. All of us in this room have been alerted to the danger of what lurks and desires to entrap our souls and destroy us. At a certain level, you know something. You have been awakened in the darkness, in the night, and you see the danger of sin crouching, seeking to devour you. And so I recognized that there was an instinct within me to self-preserve. Even in the dream. It's terrible to say it. However, I'm a Christian. And I'm a man of God, and I know better than to just run out and to spare my own skin. I'm a husband who cares about my wife, and I'm a father who cares about my kids. Well, guess who the rest of the room was full of? You guys. It was our church, and we were all in there. And so my instinct, first, is to just say, I'm getting out of here. Well, can't do that. And so I went through this very quick flash of options. And I thought about it the whole next day of what I would do. It was really an interesting thing to, to deal with, but I had three options. One was, because Reese and Lily were with me, and they're the most vulnerable. So here's, here's uh, option number one, is to actually go and tell all my family, shh, wake up, stand up, and sneak out. Okay, preserve my family first. I mean, that's reasonable. Every, every one of us would have to admit that's a good choice for a father. The second one was to take Reese and out, the most vulnerable, that, you know, the type of thing. They're just learning to walk, okay? How are they going to sneak like an Indian out of there? So Daddy could carry them out, get them to safety, and then creep back in. There's a layer of danger there because time passes. You know, I have to go all the way out, come all the way back in. This is the moment to escape. And then I had this weird third option. There was a pipe sitting on the floor that was, I, I must have been doing some sprinkler work at the time, because it was like one of these bent sprinkler pipes, you know, one of those elbow pipes. And I realized that I could pick it up and use it as a fake gun. <laughs> and this was the idea this is what I could do. I could shout, Hey, all you tribal warriors, I have a gun! and then wake up all of the church and say, get out, you guys go, I'll hold them at bay. And it was absolute stupidity to do that option. But I woke up before I ever did anything. And so all day long, I was wondering what I was gonna do. (laughs) You see, there are different options in our life of how we're gonna relate to that which seeks to devour us. And in that option, there is one that is self-giving and self-sacrificing. And there are others that have a sound of being good, but they are diminished Christianity. They are a whitewashed version of something. In other words, it's still noble, but just as it says, what man would... I mean, all of us may lay down our life for a friend, but who's going to lay down their life for someone other than that which is flesh and blood? other than those that are their dearest and closest. Oh, it's hard. I want to be the one who picks up that funny piece of sprinkler pipe and is willing to risk their life that others may live. And so this is a tension. And what what you're gonna see flow out of this message is just that desire to remember the heights. We are a church that is constantly being reminded that we cannot sit on our thumbs. That we live in a dying world. And that yes, we could just try and get out with our own skin intact. But are we willing to be spent that others might be saved? Resisting. A study in the exertion of spiritual authority. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Yes, I am going through Frank Peretti's book, even now. Uh, that's our, we, we go through it probably once a year. We're going through Piercing the Darkness now. Those are good classics. And so this is very fresh. I've heard it quite a few times lately. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I've had to remind myself that many times, because flesh and blood does seem to be our problem uh, when you look around and you're dealing with standing for Christianity. I've got a lot of problems with flesh and blood. But my battle is not against that. There is something that is puppeteering. And our battle is actually with something greater. One of the things I've said, and many of you have maybe heard me say this, is that when we look back at David and his mighty men, it's awe-inspiring. And there's part of us that wants to return to the time of swords and shields and bows. You know, because it feels very manly. And the Christian version of warfare, heh. It's not very manly. And so you you think of these little kids in Sunday school that are like, you know, we will march the infantry, ride the cavalry. I don't remember how the song goes. Fly over the enemy. I'm in the Lord's army. Remember that one? And it's like you feel like it's plastic. It's not real. It's not, that's not war. Come on, give us a battle to fight. You see, David fought against flesh and blood. You see, the Philistines, that great enemy that was coming against David, was flesh and it was blood. And David did not have the privilege that we have. Our battle is actually greater. You see, we fight the puppeteers of the Philistines. Get this we wage war on that which is controlling the Philistines so the Philistines can be set free and actually come to know Jesus Christ. That's a whole new wave of opportunity that has come in the new covenant of Jesus' blood. We have a greater battle, but we must recognize it is no less a battle. It is no less a warfare. And so it uses this term, wrestle. Pale means to wrestle. This is Strong's Concordance. A contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other, and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. Oh, I get excited. There's something that stirs me when I hear this. You see, even the word that is used. See, our battle, we're not wrestling with humans, but we are doing this with something. And it's the principalities and the powers of a dark realm that we are literally commissioned to pin down and hold down their neck. I don't know about you, but that sort of stirs me. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this earth. They're not muscle and sinew. But mighty through God to the pulling down. There's the same concept of pulling down to the ground and holding and pinning. Same concept. Paul uses them both. The howler monkeys. So I I had a message. I don't know how long ago it was, but I mentioned howler monkeys. I don't remember how it came up originally, but we were studying something with the kids and we were learning about howler monkeys. And howler monkeys are... A great picture of the devil. Widely considered, I feel sorry for poor howler monkeys, uh, but widely considered the loudest creature on earth. Have you ever noticed that God's word speaks very gently oftentimes, and even with a whisper? I mean, it's a thunderous book, don't get me wrong. But the culture isn't speaking it. You walk through your day, and you're not always just hearing God's word. You hear the enemy howling. So widely considered the loudest creature on earth, able to be heard clearly from three miles away, even through dense forest. And it's described as a surly animal, grave and solemn in its manner and expressions. It makes its piercing howls at dawn, dusk, and interspersed throughout the day. Uh-huh, yeah, I've heard it too. Defying the howler. So we have a howler in our life, and the... One of the number one agendas of the howler, the devil, in our life is to, in a sense, convince you that he is very big and very powerful. Little dude, you know that he's defeated three miles away, but sure does seem clear and very up close and very personal. You see, this enemy is actually defeated, and that which is needed to throw him down, pin him down, is actually accomplished. However, if you don't know it, you will find yourself vulnerable to the howler and all of his antics. What it says in James is resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's a very powerful scripture when you recognize that this concept of resisting, because last week we talked about passivity, that when the enemy comes to us, it takes a certain amount of energy. And if all you have is wheeze inside of you, What do you oftentimes do when the enemy comes? He's like, hey, just come on in, come on in. Okay, I I don't want to fight. You know, fighting takes strength. I have a certain weakness inside of my physical body this morning. I'm not sure what it is, but it's probably perfect for this message. But as we were worshiping, I just wanted to sit down. And then Steve starts talking about, you know, loving him with all your strength. And so I'm like, I'm not going to sit down. I hardly have anything left today but I'm going to stand up. I got a whole sermon to preach. I can't I'm not going to sit down now. But I was thinking of, you know, Sherry, who's not that, wasn't that far in front of me. And I'm thinking that is exactly right. For there's so many of us in here that literally physical weakness. What do you when you're feeling physically weak, the last thing you really want to do is put up a fight with the devil. The last thing you really want to do is stand firm for the truth of the kingdom of heaven. It's just like, you know what? Let the devil have what he wants. I'm just going to sort of try and maintain. And what I'm saying to all of us today is we have a wrestling match in front of us. And you have been given all the equipment needed, but you can't come in low in your energy levels spiritually. I know physically you may be weak, but spiritually I want you to tap into the grace of God to growl and to resist. Neither give place... To the devil. So I'm just going through a short, little quick list of things that are like little commandos to our soul. Resist. Do not give him any space. Do not leave the door open to him. Don't let him in. Do not give him any territory in your life. No, no. Take that thought captive. Don't let it in through the door. There must be a guardedness to our life spiritually. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. You see, our job is to stand against, not just stand nearby as the enemy traipses through our life, to stand against, to resist, to repel every fiery arrow with the shield of faith. We are in active duty, not passive duty. Be sober, be vigilant, which means watchful, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom, speaking of the devil, Resist steadfast in the faith. Our command is to resist steadfastly, continuously in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And they overcame him, speaking of Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. And they threw him down to the mat and pinned him down. By the blood of the Lamb. They wrestled with that devil, resisted him, exerted authority, did not give him place, and pinned him and overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. The sheep brigade, the unstoppable military force of dumb, woolly creatures. So, this is an excerpt from previous sermons. I have, I've used this many times. This is like my little reminder call. And you'll see it even if you have your notes. You're just like, oh yeah, here we go. This is the reminder of what our position is in Jesus Christ. You see, we are not just casual observers that are seeing this power and this grandeur of the king of kings from a distance hearing the howler overtaken by the howler monkey, and they're all piling on top of us and bringing us down, and we're like, oh, if I only had that power of Jesus, but wow, he's impressive way over there. Christianity, by its very basic definition, is a change of position or a change of clothing. When we are first born in and through our mother's womb, we are clothed in Adam. We are of the descendancy of Adam. And as a result, we bear the punishment of Adam. But our position is in Adam. And as a result, we receive the reward of Adam's sin, which is separation from God. It is the penalty of sin, the wages, death, hell. And so unless we are born again and enter into a second man, the last Adam known as Jesus Christ, then we will, in fact, die. And we gain access into Jesus Christ as clothing by faith. And so those of us in this room, many of us in here, understand this principle. And by faith, we have believed in the work of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we have been placed in Jesus. So the one that is triumphantly seated at the right hand of the Father, the one who has everything, every power, principality under his feet, has pinned them all to the mat is the one in whom we live. This is imperative for us as Christians to remember this. We are not the defeated. We are placed in the victor, the one who has defeated. So this sheep brigade, though we are sheep and we are not the shepherd, for instance, don't, don't get so cocky as we go through these, this list of scriptures and go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and start looking to yourself and go, yeah, hey, enemy, you don't want to mess with me. Actually, the enemy does want to mess with you. It's your shepherd he doesn't want to mess with. You see, consider the enemy the wolf pack. You're the sheep. You, I don't know if you're a betting person, but if you have a whole bunch of wolves and a sheep, who do you bet on? You don't ever bet on the sheep. But if you add in a shepherd, suddenly everything changes, especially the good shepherd, especially Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You ever seen his staff? And so as a result, our secret as sheep is to remain by the shepherd. And if we do that, that wolf pack fears us. Not because of us, but because of our shepherd. Super conquering is the description of us. They are more than conquerors. That's speaking of you. We are bequeathed or conveyed or given all power and all authority. We are seated in Christ Jesus in the heavenly position of power and authority, given power over all the power of the enemy to tread upon their high places. We are immovable and invincible, able to repel all the fiery darts of the enemy, able to tread on lions, adders, serpents, scorpions, and dragons, able to drink poison and be unharmed. Yes, it's in there. A thousand shall fall at our side and ten thousand at our right hand, but it shall not come near us. There shall not a hair of our head perish. Jesus gives unto us eternal life, and we shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck us out of his hand. Nothing shall in any wise hurt us. We are the fearless. Wouldn't it be an amazing thought to not just read that on the screen, but to live that way as the fearless? No more fear. There's never any more anxiety, fear, fretting. Why? Because you're in Christ Jesus. What is there to fear if you are in Christ? Truly! The Lord is our light and our salvation, so whom shall we fear? It's a good question. I mean, if it really is true that he is our light and he is our salvation, then who in the world would we fear? I mean, come on. Hasn't he defeated all that opposes us? Why would we fear an enemy that's dead? If you were marching out to battle and the enemy was just strewn, their bodies dead all over the place, would you go, oh no! You tread upon it. You prove the victory of the king is what we do. The Lord is the strength of our life, so of whom shall we be afraid? Though a host should encamp against us, their heart, our heart, shall not fear. Though war should rise against us, we shall remain confident in our God. Because God will never leave us nor forsake us. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in our trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And no weapon that is fashioned or formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against us in judgment God shall condemn. We're also the unstoppable. The Lord is with us as a mighty, terrible one. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Whatsoever we shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever we shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. In other words, it could just be one or two of us. And we could stand on this earth and literally defy the kingdoms of darkness. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And since our God is for us... <clears throat> Who, who can be against us? He says, it's just a reminder message. It's what I need to hear afresh. Isn't that an amazing thought that you can't just hear this once and go, yeah, 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 and live consistently in the reality of it? Because this world is full of darkness, and that's light. This world is full of lies, and that's Truth. We have to continually return to that truth and rehearse it in our soul, preach it into the depths of our being, and say, Here I stand. I am a believer. I believe what God has said. The in that empowers. Put on the whole armor of God. We are to put on something. I said we are in Adam, so we are told to put off our old man and we are to put on Christ. That's what it says in Scripture. And so Paul is just rehearsing the same statement. Put on the whole armor of God. Who is the armor of God? Jesus. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Be sober, be vigilant. So it says in the middle, whom resist steadfast, how? In the faith. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Our clothing is literally made of blood. It is stitched together by the life of Jesus Christ. It's called the garment of salvation, a robe of righteousness that encloses us. Off with the old and on with the new. For in him, what's your position, by the way? In Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And here we go again. In whom, what's your position again? In Christ. Yes, it is. In Christ also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Circumcision is a cutting off. The old life is cut off. The flesh life is removed so that you can now live a new life in Christ Jesus by the Spirit. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, you are buried with Him in baptism. Baptism means to be put in something, to be immersed in something. And we are immersed in Christ by faith. We are baptized into Christ. So baptism, speaking of like what we were saying in the lake or in some baptismal, is merely an external symbol of something that is gained by faith in Jesus Christ. You are baptized, not because of water, but because of faith. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are baptized into Christ, which means you share in his death, which means you share in his burial, which means you also share in his resurrection. And get this, you also share in his seated position in the heavenly realms. So you are buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, hath he quickened, which means made alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Combating the howlers. So we have a lot of different howling things in our life over the individual body. See, each of us, See, as a, as a father, I sometimes have to remind myself that I need to also remember this. See, I'm constantly thinking about you guys, my family, my marriage. And it's like, this life needs to be tended to. This life needs to be sharp. Now, I don't lose sight of that. But like I said, you can dull pretty quickly in this culture. There's a need for this life to be sharp. Each of us is responsible. Don't wait for your parents to ask you if your spiritual life is sharp. You have to ensure that you are turning to Jesus Christ and saying, Spirit of God, you live here. Sanctify this. Keep me sharp. So over the individual body, the health of the individual body, there is a need. One of the things Hudson and I have been doing in the mornings during our prayer walk is we're going around in this morning, we were talking about physical health. And so Hudson prayed for his individual body, his health. He's had a lot of health struggles this past year. And he resisted the devil in that area. And then for our family, he prayed and he resisted for our family. And then for, for the church, he resisted. And so we have the individual body. There is a responsibility right here to make sure we are tending to first things so that we are strong to serve others over the Christian marriage. You see, there is a need to combat the howlers and to resist, to bring them down to the mat and pin them. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this or if I've ever said this. Before I was married, I remember this guy, and he was, I want to say he was Brazilian, but he was a Brazilian like evangelist, and he was talking about uh, some satanic group that got together in South America, and in their big conference, they made the decision of what was their number one objective for that next year, and that was to destroy Christian marriages. Now, whether or not that's true or not, at the time you have to realize I'm just about to get married. I'm like, oh, it's like right in the bullseye is right where I'm at. And here's what I can say. It's actually a brilliant tactic if you were the enemy. Because if you take down Christian marriages, what do you take down? Christian families. If you take down Christian families, what do you take down? Christian churches. If you take down Christian churches, what have you accomplished? You've destroyed the witness of Christ in an age and in a generation. Ah, makes sense to go after Christian marriages. However, it makes sense for us to combat the howlers when it comes to Christian marriages. This is a battleground, and it is a fierce one, as many of you know, over the Christian home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say this should be a no-brainer for us that we should be rising up and defending. We should be combating. We should be bringing the enemy down to the ground and pinning him. We should not take his guff in these territories. These are territories assigned to us as Christians, over the church, uh-huh, we got a job to do because the church is overrun with howler monkeys right now. We have some work to do to purge it out and to see the church become a protected place once again. I was going through a list a few months back of the safest places on planet Earth. Uh, one of them is a mother's womb. One of them is a Christian, uh, a marriage, let's say it that way. The other is a family and the other is a church. Those are supposed to be the safest places on earth. Well, right now, in America, it's not safe to be in a mother's womb. Because of the abortion rates all over this world, it's one of the most dangerous places statistically on earth to be right now is in a mother's womb. Uh, marriage is no longer sacred and uh, safe. Uh, The divorce rate is crested 50%. So as a result, it's a higher percentage that you're going to be wounded and beaten up in a marriage than you're going to be secure and safe with someone who is vowing to you to spend life with you. Family, the ones that are supposed to always be there stand shoulder to shoulder. Some of the greatest wounds probably in this room came right out of that little group of people. And the church of Jesus Christ supposed to be safe. Most of us are scared to death to go into a church, to submit ourselves to the body. What are they going to do? What's this Eric Lutie guy going to do? Is he going to go off the rails like all the others? I understand. This has to be dealt with. We cannot just sit by idly and passively and hope. We must engage in the warfare. In the times in which we live, we must exert the authority that we have to see this changed. How about over those deaf to the truth of Jesus Christ? Talk about howler monkeys. You know, when you come up to someone and start talking to them about Jesus, you know what they hear? That wasn't a very good peanuts rendition. You know how the, the teacher's like, that's what they hear. You got a howler monkey who's like, you know, I don't know what a howler monkey sounds like. But they're making so much noise that that person is deaf to the gospel you must combat that which is squelching the truth in their life. This is a battle, and it's a spiritual battle. It's not just your brilliance in being able to articulate truth. It is your understanding of your position in this generation, in this hour, to exert the authority of Jesus Christ in those people's lives. He has purchased them with his blood. That enemy that is attempting to hold them, is under the thumb of Jesus. That which is puppeteering their life, those strings can be snapped. Do you know the position you have? The obvious resistance, the frustration over fruit bearing. I think many of us in this body, especially you know, if I were to describe Tuesday night in our, our prayer gathering, we are not getting the fruit. We're passionate about confessing, sharing the gospel praying. These are things that we all hold dear. That, that's what binds us together. However, we're not multiplying like the early church. And there is a frustration. In fact, I would say this. I may have had more resistance in my gospel sharing since I stood up to exhort all of you to begin to confess than I had before. But it might not have been until this last week that I finally recognized that as a spiritual battle. It's like, wait a minute. I'm in a sense, playing passive and just saying, I'm going to say, go out and confess, as as opposed to realizing there's going to be a counterattack from the enemy, very specifically to try and frustrate us so that we just give up. For instance, I have gone to this one place to sit down and wait for most of the day to talk with one singular guy who wants to hear the gospel. And I did it again on Friday. When When I was doing my message, I was in a location... Specific location to be available to a guy who wants to hear the gospel. And he didn't show up again. And so at the end of the day, instead of during the day thinking, there's probably a howler monkey that's hindering this. Instead of even thinking that, it was on the drive home, after doing a message called resist, that I realized, Eric, resist! Resist! That is precisely the issue. I must engage in battle, not just be ready to speak, but engage to see these lives prepared to hear. And that is part of what I'm sensing is that there is a frustration amongst us which could lead us back into a state of silence. It's like it's hard when you keep sharing and you're not gaining fruit. It's like, oh, this is hard work. It's easier just to not share. Because my sharing isn't accomplishing anything. You ever had that thought? That's a lie from the enemy. What we need is to be a praying and a confessing church. Maybe I should say it this way. A resisting and a confessing church. One that exerts the authority and confesses. We must know our position and know that these souls are trapped in the powers of darkness. But that power is under the feet of Jesus Christ in whom we live. In the name of Jesus. I told you guys a few months ago about, I was one morning before church, Hudson and I were walking, and I was teaching about in the name of Jesus. It's a really neat thing to see, because he understands his position in Christ, but to see him pray from that is a very, very exciting thing for a dad. I know that most of us, when we finish our prayer, will go, in the name of Jesus, amen. But if I said, why do you pray that? You're like, well, that's just sort of what you say. It's like the right way. It's like a period. It's proper punctuation on a prayer. When in actuality, what it is, it's a declaration to that which you're praying to of your position, of the reason why this will happen. It is, the amen. It is that which literally solidifies the amen. Amen means truly it will happen. I have faith that this will happen. Why? Because I just prayed it in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, any questions? Right there, Boom! Talk about a few exclamation marks at the end of a prayer. In the name of Jesus, kaboom, amen. It's like, wow, that's like amen, 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 amen. I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. It will happen. You start praying in the name of Jesus. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Some of you get a little queasy, I know, when we bring this up. I brought this up last week. I don't know. It seems like the Pentecostals took this over to the point where it's now hard for some people to see it. Because it's been abused. And then you have some of the postmoderns that have completely redefined this to say that we can change truth in our generation. That's what Rob Bell says. That's what he actually says this means. It's the weirdest thing that has happened in our generation with this very scripture. So let's just get back to what it means. So it says... We have been given the keys of a kingdom. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So bind is Dale, it means to fasten. So whatever you fasten, tie, lock in chains, to forbid, to prohibit, to arrest the enemy's plans. So when the enemy, the howler monkey, is coming against you, what do you have the authority to do? To fasten it, to tie it up. I oftentimes, when I'm praying, because it's hard for me to use the word bind sometimes, I feel a little awkward doing it, I say hogtie. Hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine that that's any more comfortable for the people around me. <laughs> hogtie! I hogtie in the name of Jesus what the enemy's doing here. And then everyone, you know, that's is more on the conservative side, I, go, I think that sounds sane. Uh... <clears throat> That's what it means. It's the idea of literally binding something up, wrapping it with cords so that it cannot be moved. You prohibit its forward movement. It can no longer function. If you were bound in cords, how would you be doing? You wouldn't be able to pull off your schemes either. And so as a result, it literally ties the enemy and prohibits him from moving forward. And then we have this idea of loose, which is lio. It means to unfasten. Have you ever noticed that God has a purpose in your life and it's clearly delineated in Scripture? What he intends to do? And yet, it seems to be hindered? Uh, The enemy's plans seem to unfold fairly easily, but God's plans in your life seem to be hindered. Well, don't you understand the spiritual nature of this? You see, there is something that God wants to do, but our job is to see that unfastened released, untied, to break up that which is compacted, to dissolve, to dismiss, to do away with, to destroy the enemy's long-held strongholds. So he creates a barrier between what God is intending to do in our life, what God is intending to do in our marriage, what God is intending to do in our family, what God is intending to do in our church, what God is intending to do in that lost soul. Our job is to engage in battle. I don't care if you use the term bind, and I don't care if you use the word loose, but you must understand your authority to bind and loose, to engage in a spiritual battle that disables the enemy and enables God's purposes. The fun guys. So the reason this made it into my message is because Hudson and I were talking about this exact thing, and I said, you know, I had a, had a dream. See, I, I know, you guys are really, this is two dreams and one message. I had a dream. Well, it was in the midst of a very challenging season that Leslie and I were having. Ooh, uh, 10 years ago or so, maybe, maybe a little less, but somewhere around that. We had written a book, and it was with a major... I want to say that there is a secular publicity department that was assigned to it, and we weren't too excited about that, but such was the nature of what was taking place, and we had some invites that were very awkward, and we declined them, and this was one of the radio interviews in Southern California, and it was called The Fun Guys. The Fun Guys, and it was, there's certain laws with radio that you have to, you know, to uphold. And so radios have always been a fairly safe environment, even if it's combative, and even if they don't agree with you. It's better than TV, because TV, they can edit it all out, but live radio, it's just going out there. And so, you know, for the most part, we've done a lot of things that we look back, yeah, I don't know that I'd do that again. But the fun guys, it, was a, it wasn't Christian, but supposedly they were very excited to talk with us. The book was about purity And so we didn't have, usually a publicity department gives you great information, great detail, who their demographic is, who listens, what the, you know, who the host is, what we know about him, so we can look it up online, know more about what we're getting into. They had no information. I have no idea why we said yes to this, but somehow we were on the phone. Turned out that it wasn't a radio show, it was a podcast. There's no rules for podcasts. And what we ran into was a buzzsaw, it was a trap. They were wanting to mock us publicly. And so as a result, we stepped into this, and our legs were pulled up into the air. And I told Leslie, I said, get off the phone. And so Leslie, we were on two different lines. And so Leslie got off the phone, and I took him on. It's the stupidest thing I probably ever did. (laughs) And they weren't interested in hearing uh, anything that I had to say. And all they were doing was capturing it and then playing it over and over and over again. And those that hate Jesus loved this. And so then what they did is they began to call us from different area codes. And one guy called us, a pastor from Michigan called me up and says, Eric, I know I usually need to go through your publicity department, but I have an opening in my schedule. I was just wondering, could you just come on the show? I'm, I'm in the Grand Rapids area, and you know, it, could you just be careful with some of the terminology you use because we have a very conservative audience. And I go, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I fell for it. Sure enough, the same same guys, same host. They changed their voice. They were altering their voice, and they were having fun. I mean, these are the fun guys. I got a call from Florida. I got a call from New York. Leslie and I were under siege, and we were standing for something, but being literally publicly mocked across the United States, and literally all these people are just having fun. We're the punching bag. I didn't know legally what to do. Hudson was saying, isn't there something? You know, government should stand up for that somehow. The police should do something. Yeah, I, what do you, who do you talk to about it? What, whose jurisdiction is this? It happened in California. I don't even know if they're from California. I don't know where they're from. i have gotten six area codes here. So I was thinking of changing our, our phone number. And this is the dream I had. So I'm in the kitchen in my dream, and the lights in the house go off. And it was weird. You know, lights go off. I'm in the dark it was no big deal. But for whatever reason, in this situation, there was terror that went through me. And it's like, whoa. And I heard this laughing. And it was the fun guys. And I knew they had turned off the light. Oh, those fun guys. But it was, they, they felt powerful, more powerful than me. And so there was a fear that was there. I might not like them, but now it was fearful. And I felt like whatever this was that was coming against me was greater than me. And that's what it was saying. It was saying, We're greater than you, Eric. You're dead. And I knew where the fuse box was, and so I'm making my way in the dark and feeling along the wall, and I open it up, and I actually realize, I hear some scuffling behind a door, I know where the fun guys are. And so what I did in one movement is I turned on the light, and then backed against the door, reached around, grabbed three men, grown men, bigger than me, with one arm. And they're like, hey, let us down. And I carried him out to the front yard and set him down and kept him there until the police arrived. Have you ever woken up from a dream like that? Hudson said when I told him, he's like, I never have dreams like that. (laughs) But I was giving this as an illustration you loose something. You turn on the light. You agree with God. You let the light shine and exert the authority you have to bind that which is coming against you. It is actually weak. It is boasting a big talk, but it does not have power in your house. You go to the fuse box and agree with God. Turn on the light, agree with truth, and bind that which is trying to act like it belongs there. It has no business being in your house. Let's do some serious deoing and Liing. This is the commission of this message. I don't know how it applies to you. However, in my life, there's so many different layers where I've been coming in, if we were to go a scale of one to 10, I've been coming in with a fight of six. And feeling like, you know, I'm giving a fight. I'm really putting out a fight. And God's saying, Six? Come on, buddy. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ. You have the authority of the King of Kings in this earth, exert it. Your battle is not against flesh and blood, it is against those spiritual powers, those fun guys that are seeking to devour you. Eric, do not be the coward that looks for the easy way and sneaks out of the room. Do the dangerous thing. Go straight into that pit of darkness and the gates of hell shall not prevail against thee. That's the sort of reminder I'm needing. Usually I'm realizing that when I need that sort of exhortation, we all need that sort of exhortation. I want us to consider how to apply this today in our individual bodies, in our marriages, in our families, in this church, and with the lost and dying world that we are in.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Lutie, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.